Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on, and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. His name is James B.W. Beavis, and his taste leaned toward stuffed animals, zither music, professional football, Charles Dickens, mooseheads, carnivals, dogs, children, and young ladies. Mr. Beavis is accident-prone, a little vague, a little discombobulated, with a life that possesses all the security of a floating crap game. But this can be said of our Mr. Beavis. Without him, without his warmth, without his kindness, the world would be a considerably poorer place. Albeit, perhaps, a little saner. Should it not be obvious by now, James B.W. Beavis is a fixture in his own private, optimistic, hopeful little world. A world which has long ceased being surprised by him. James B.W. Beavis, on whom Dame Fortune will shortly turn her back. But not before she gives him a paste in the mouth. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, just one block away from the Twilight Zone. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema's The Twilight Zone series. Uh, and yeah, thanks to Eric for taking some zither lessons. The, hope you enjoyed that zither music from the uh, British film The Third Man starring Orson Welles from 1949. Uh, I'm your host, Jimbo, and along with me once again is the fabulous 80s E. 80s, how you doing today? All right, zither aficionado, yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, this is episode 33 of season one. We are slowly, well, not slowly, fastly approaching the end of season one. Um, only three more to go. Um, so I'm really looking forward to our wrap-up show after season one uh, and to our personal top ten list from season one. Because even though I think that we'll have some of the same ones on there, there might be a few on each other's list that surprise the other one. And uh, then we will tell you why um, we chose those and why we deserve they be in the top 10 of season one so yeah. with that being said we are coming to this uh episode called mr beavis i know this is one of eric's favorites <laughs> yeah well not exactly it didn't score very high on imdb there was like a 6.7 so probably a good reason for that but um, I don't know. What was your initial take? Just I know we're. Uh, I will off save. Here, but I will save. You're gonna save it all to the end? end. I will save I it for my take for at you. the end. Yeah, huh? I got a surprise. I got a surprise for you at the end of the postscript. Well, I, I will. I will. I will just say something like this. Um, okay. 
I see a lot of Mr. Beavis in myself. Oh, okay. So okay. Um, I'll just save the rest of it for the end of the episode. But I, I will just <laughs> okay. say because, well, I, I don't want to get into it because I'll just start my whole spiel right now. But Yeah, got you. All right, well, I'll jump right in and uh, let's get this ball rolling. Uh, Mr. Beavis, this is the Twilight Zone season number one, episode number 33. It was directed um, by William Asher. And just as a side note, uh, this was the only episode that William Asher um, directed. And I'm not really sure he wants to be known for that. However, he was a very <laughs> prolific director. He... He actually, uh, I think, is credited as discovering Lucille Ball. That's a big name in television. And he actually directed, I, I want to say, upwards of over 100 episodes of I Love Lucy. He also uh, directed Bewitched. And um, that's probably what he's most uh, known for uh, with his directing credits. Uh, this episode was written by Rod Serling. And the original air date was June the 3rd, 1960. And as always, the production cost for this episode was $50,274.35. If we extrapolate that out for uh, today's numbers and adjusted for inflation, we're looking at $453,579.94. And just by way of technical specs, I'll jump into those real quick. Everything is pretty much the same. 25-minute uh, runtime, mono, West Trex recording systems. This is a black and white episode. This also is a 35-millimeter episode. And with that being said, Jimbo, do you want to go ahead and jump into the cast and give uh, us the rundown? Uh, sure. Uh, just give me one quick second. Um, we have technical this is, difficulties? No. Uh, no. Not really. Um, I was just trying to uh, look up one little thing that I, I forgot to write down real quick. But uh, this has this episode is famous for having a lot of famous people in it. Um, there is a lot of famous people that have been on a lot of stuff. Um, so we obviously have Mr. Orson Bean as James B.W. Beavis, who is the main character of this. Um, he's uh, most notably known for Inner Space, and he was also in the great cartoon from 1977, The Hobbit, uh, where he played Bilbo yep. Baggins. So, uh, outstanding job there. Then you had Henry Jones as J. Hardy Hempstead. Uh, he was in Vertigo, uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie Vertigo, where he played the coroner. Right. Um, I had to. I had to go back and. When it gave his credit for the coroner, I had to go. I had to go back and refresh my memory of where he. You know, entered the movie in Vertigo. Yeah, he did a really, really good job in that, too. Of course, Vertigo, one of my all-time favorite movies. Great movie. Uh, Charles Lane as Mr. Peckinpah, <laughs> which we'll get to that here in a minute. Perfectly named. Uh, Florence McMichael as Margaret. Uh, William Schallert as the policeman. Uh, Vito Scotti as Tony the Fruit Peddler. And Horace McMahon, no relation to Vince McMahon, I do not believe, from WWE, <laughs> as the bartender. And that is your cast. All right. Um, let me just give a quick plot here. I I pared the plot down quite a bit, um, as in previous episodes. Um, so here goes. After losing his job, his car, and his apartment on the same day, an eccentric loser gets a new life from his guardian angel, but there is a price to keeping it. You know, this has a lot of... Uh, 
I, I always thought of It's a Wonderful Life. It kind of has that that's, It's a Wonderful Life kind of feel. Not quite as good, obviously. That's, a, but, that's, in, my, that's in my take at the end, too. Yeah, so. <laughs> it, it, has, it has that uh, type of feel to it. Um, so, uh, Jimbo, do we want to just jump right into the episode here? Just, We've got just go right on in. All right. The first scene, uh, we kind of open up on a uh, what looks like a New York street, maybe. And there are kids kind of playing football. Uh, in the street, and uh, I thought the Zither music was the carnival-type music, I, I told you this a minute ago, that is playing in the opening credits of the uh, episode, so I immediately associated Zither music with this carnival music, and the monkey, yeah, and the monkey running up and down the pole, I had to go back and educate myself, and no, realize, no, that's not Zither music. Um, hey, if you, we, watch, if you watch real ahead. close right there... Uh, when the monkey's running up and down the pole, that light almost falls off. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't, you know, sometimes they throw these sets together really quick. <laughs> they don't always yeah. think of safety first, you know what I mean? Yeah, and from the street, we uh, we go, like, we pan up to a window and we come into Mr. B.W. Beavis's uh, apartment. <laughs> and, man, is it a wreck. <laughs> I mean, he's walking around and fumbling around. Um, trying to find things and he's holding it's it's funny to me i don't know if that was common or not maybe it wasn't maybe because he was really eccentric but he's actually drinking coffee from a he has a cup and saucer and he's carrying it all around his apartment <laughs> and he's trying not to spill it and you know i think there might even be a zither i think that might be a zither instrument sitting on one of the chairs by the fireplace i'm not exactly sure but um from there he uh he comes outside of his apartment he you know it, it would appear that he's late for work and he's coming down uh, a set of stairs and he's greeted by a boy at the bottom of the stairs and they kind of have the well he passes a woman in the hallway and he knows her by name and he's really friendly then he comes to the stairwell and then he you know comes to this young man at the bottom of the stairs and it's like they have an unspoken agreement that he's going to slide down the banister and you know of course he slides down and not only falls off on the the landing, but then he rolls down the out the front door and out onto the sidewalk. And you know what? I I watched that one a couple of times. That scene, and there's no way he would have went out the door right there. No, <laughs> I no. was like, this is totally crazy because he just. I mean, he, he went out. Yeah, he like turned and rolled on down the the thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? I was like, it's perfectly apropos for this episode because it's like <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah, kind of, and like you know, the Twilight Zone. Not to be too critical, they they don't do you know. It's kind of well known they don't really do comedy, you know, episodes all that well. It wasn't really their strong suit, but anyway, he. He rolls out onto the sidewalk, and I wanted to make this point that it's obvious the stunt double here is very, very obvious <laughs> yeah. when he hits the ground and his hair's all disheveled and he kind of gets up and, you know, the, the, the landlady, I forget her name, I'm sure she's in the, uh, the casting, uh, she kind of just looks at him and shakes his head, or shakes her head, and yeah, it's just kind of a, a wacky scene. And here's another scene that I have to point out. When he he runs into the football game and then he throws the ball with two hands. I've never in my life seen somebody throw a football with two hands, uh, so I just found that comical. And, yeah. You know, but he's obviously a, a really nice, you know, guy, and he's a popular guy in the in the neighborhood, and all the kids love him and stuff. And um, 
He's enjoying uh, life, man. He's enjoying exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah, but but he, one he, thing I want to point out, too, is <laughs> just to get a little bit of his character, when he was upstairs carrying around that saucer, yeah. did you? He, he, he's looking around, he picks up that birdcage, right? And he's trying yeah, to find yeah. a place to sit. Well, he says, <laughs> and then he takes his cup and saucer and he sets it on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> why would you like, set it on the couch? Where? Not on a coffee table or right, something. Anywhere else. But I guess because it was so cluttered, he had nowhere else to put that thing. So I yeah. thought that was funny. I was cracking up this whole entire episode, man. Yeah, it, it, was, it was zany and wacky from pretty much start <laughs> to finish. So, um, from the, let me go back from the football game. Then he, he goes over to his, uh, Rickenbacker, <laughs> <Jalopy>. <laughs> yeah. his 1927, I think Rickenbacker. And I'll go ahead and, uh, um, put some trivia in here. I'll just go ahead and throw this in. It says, um, Beavis's car is a 1924 Rickenbacker. It was manufactured by a short-lived auto company established in 1922 by World War I fighter Ace Eddie Rickenbacker. So it was named after the World War One Ace Eddie Rickenbacker. Powered by a six-cylinder engine, these Rickenbackers were the first American production cars to feature four-wheel braking. Uh, and the Rickenbacker Motor Company ceased its production in 1927. So it wasn't a long-lived uh, a car manufacturer, car company. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. And so the kids, they. All the kids in the neighborhood kind of grab a <laughs> grab a bumper and they start pushing it to, you know, start the car. And then there's this huge cloud of smoke. If you, if know, you notice, that. if you notice the one kid, man, he looks right at the camera, like waiting for a cue or something. You know what I mean? He's yeah. just like looking at. Yeah. And then they when they shove him up, there's like a big cloud of smoke or something. They're <laughs> just right. all like the fumes and everything. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> I think Rod gives a little bit of a narration there. There's actually three. Uh, intro narrations there's three segments and right. we'll throw the, we'll throw those in the episode uh in the beginning um here but um so from the next scene jimbo where do we go from here uh, i think he goes to he the goes, office well it, he, he's not to the office yet but you see the, a bunch of tables in there and the you see all the ladies they're all like speed typing or something and this is where you see the great mr peck and paul which is aptly named because it reminds me of like a bird you know peck and paul you know, he's like, where's the <laughs> yeah. gentleman that sits at this? Desk? I don't even think he knows the yeah. name of the guy that sits there. You know what I mean? But if you look, you look at all the other desks, they're all nice and neat and everything. And then you see Mr. Beavis's desk. He's got like, what, a stuffed bird or what's a, uh, a squirrel? Like, yeah. And then he's got like that, that statue or whatever. And it looks like a aborigine or something with the eyes going up and down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The little, uh-huh. and he's just got all kinds of knickknacks and gadgets all over the place. But he's late, obviously, because he's like, uh, will you tell the gentleman that sits here to come see me as soon as he gets in, you know what I mean? And as soon as he walks away, Beavis comes walking into the door carrying, I think, a box of stuff, doesn't he? Or he's carrying something, ain't he? Yeah, he, he brings in a, a box and, you know, he greets every uh, he greets everyone in the office and <laughs> the, he's real friendly. Again, just going along with this, this theme, everybody uh, really knows him uh, well and... Um, he basically gets to his desk and Margaret, the lady that sits right behind him, informs him that Mr. Peckinpah wants to see him in his office. And uh, Peckinpah's line uh, in the beginning is great. I, I don't have it verbatim quoted here, but, you know, th- that was a, a a great piece of writing, how he describes uh, Beavis. And, you know, he's going to give him the hammer here. So Beavis shows up about five minutes till nine. Margaret tells him that the uh, Peck and Paul wants to see him, 
And then he goes in and he gets leveled. Basically, he is gets this hand? Is this what you have? If you is will. this? I think if I remember right, I think the part that I liked about this scene is it once he goes into the office, it fades to like a clock on the wall. And, like, it shows a little bit of time passed. I thought that was pretty cool, you know what I mean? So he wasn't in yeah. there very long. He was getting read, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, that was a good uh, That was a good catch for the, the, a little detail that they, they put in there that was really good. And um, I neglected to tell you this, but um, I wanted to, to talk about a callback um, to Mr. Bemis and the uh, Time Enough at Last episodes. There are a lot of callbacks, and... Um, there's actually some audio that I want to throw in here. It's about 30 seconds or so, and I'll put them in here. Um, the, the line is, um, I forget the exact line. He's talking, it's used uh, in this episode, and it's used in Time Enough at Last. Uh, of Mice and Men, I'm not going to get it right, but I'll, I'll throw this audio in right here. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men, and Beavis. The best laid plans of mice and men. And Henry Bemis. Okay, so just wanted to reference those parallels between kind of those two episodes, and you uh, even in their name, Bemis and Beavis, um, which Jimbo, I don't want to step on your toes, but do you have any uh, trivia? Well, I'll just throw this in right here that this this actually was supposed to be the uh, spinoff with Burgess Meredith. Yep, exactly. It, uh, it as a pilot it was, for a spinoff. Did yeah, you it that? didn't. Or, or in your notes? Uh, yeah, I did. But um, it was it was not ordered. Uh, Rod Sterling, uh, since uh, learned that Burgess Merritt declined the role, um, mm-hmm. which at the time, uh, you know, maybe he was like, "This is not a character I want to portray." You know what I mean? Right. Um, I can't blame him for it, but I would have loved to seen where this went. Um, would yeah. it have been a thing where uh, Bemis is all, uh, or Beavis is always getting in trouble, and his angels trying to save him? His yeah. guardian angels trying. You know, I think yeah. it could have been a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting take. You know what I mean? Right. Now, with that in mind, I got this question for you: If Burgess Meredith would, do you think he would have played a better Beavis? Could he have gotten more out of this character <sighs> in this episode than Orson B. Uh, Orson I Bean? I don't think so. Um, no. I think I think if you even go back to see uh, to time enough at last, even though um, Burgess Meredith, uh, I think he he was older. Yeah. At least I th- I I portray him as older. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I just don't know if he could have pulled this off. Uh, he's he's a great actor. Um, I love him as the Penguin in the Batman series. Um, I loved him in a Time Enough at Last. But this is like a totally different end of the spectrum from what he played from his other character you know what i mean even though there's some similarities i still think beavis is i don't know how to describe it he's more friendly than the character you've seen in the other one i don't i i mean he probably could have right but now that you've seen this guy this guy kind of reminded me of uh one of the darrens from bewitched um yeah to see a lot yeah, of you know silly zaniness with him you know what i mean so mm-hmm. Could he have? Probably. Should he have is a different question, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I just, I figured with, you know, um, with his, Burgess Mayer, the speaking of him, with his, uh, I guess, experience in comedy and so forth, I, that would have been interesting to see if oh, know, it they could have, have made it a running series. I mean, it might not have been really popular, but, you know, there's always that small group of people that would, you know, would have watched it. 
I think. And you um, you kind of wonder why um, why he declined the role too. Yeah, you know what I mean. You kind of wonder uh, did he have something else going on at the time, or did he just not like the script? Right. Did he not like the premise of the series? So yeah, we'll never know. Yep. Um, so let's jump back into the episode. Um, Beavis has just gotten sacked, and he's um, getting ready to leave the office. He's gathering all of his things and putting it into a box, and then he comes out to the sidewalk to realize that his Rickenbacker has gotten hooked bumpers with another car, and, and the car and you know pulls away. You know what's really funny about the thing? When he comes out of the office, that one guy in the back already has a gigantic box he's dragging up to the front. <laughs> you know what I mean? The office, he knew it was coming. And he yeah. got, like, the biggest box he could find for him to put all of his stuff in. Yeah, and what did he say? Like, this was the... how He tells Margaret something like, this is the sixth job I've gotten fired for yeah. this year, and like <laughs> he can't keep a job, and, you right. know, this is just kind of the run-of-the-mill kind of situation for him. So the car pulls his Rickenbacker um, out into the middle of the street. It, like, flips over on his side and skids to a screeching halt. And then he has a conversation with the police officer. And he's, he asks the police officer something like, Have you ever had one of those days? And he's like, Not like this, or something like that. And, he, and then he's like, Would you be interested in a 1924 Rickenbacker? Tries to, or something sell like that? Right. tries to sell him his car. He's like, no, I'm waiting for the 27 model to come out or something like that. And, you know, he kind of makes a funny little quip there about his car. And, um, yeah, from there, uh, I'm trying to think. Jimbo, do you know what the next scene is? Let me skip for. Oh, uh, I think he's in the home. bar. Oh, no, wait. Or is he in the bar first, ain't he? Uh, or no, no, he goes home, and this is where the landlord's like, You're, yeah, uh, he gets three months out. late or something, ain't he, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and all of his stuff is sitting on the stoop, basically. He's like, hmm, huh. you know, he kind of gives yeah, a little shrug. Of his it's just like, every every day is like this. And so he passes the landlady. This is funny. He passes her on the stairway, and she's bringing down his junk out of his apartment. He's just <laughs> yeah. like, oh. He's just like totally, t- he kind of greets her like, hey, what's going on? And she tells him, no, you're like three months behind on the rent, and you're getting tossed out. And then we've... We find Mr. Beavis in the bar in the next scene. and uh, You ever wondered what he did with all of his stuff while it's sitting outside? Did he just leave it sitting there? You <laughs> know what I mean? Know. It's just you know, this thing. This, this is so odd. This episode is growing on me a lot, man, because we haven't had this much fun doing an episode in a long time. You know what I mean? Just because it's, it's so over the top. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so he's sitting in the bar... And uh, the bartender tells him, like, I forget the, the exact line he says, something like, you know, I put everything short of rocket fuel in his drink, you know, and and Beavis has had a, a few drinks, and he's slurring his speech, and he says, can you tell me why I can see the man when I look in the mirror, but I can't see him when he's in the booth? And the guy, <laughs> the bartender, the guy, the bartender says, what guy are you talking about? You know, and then um, he says, see who? And then uh, there's an interesting, for all you English majors, uh, he says, no, it's whom? And then I wanted just to read this um, little uh, trivia piece right here. When actually, when he sits down and first starts interacting with Jay Hardy Hempstead, he says, when Beavis asks Mr. Hempstead, who might you be? Mr. Hempstead 
corrects him, saying, "Whom?" Objective case. That is, in fact, wrong, as "who" is used as a predicate nominative, and therefore the nominative case is correct. So, for all you English majors out there,、um, Beavis actually uses the correct usage of the word "who," and so that's just a little catch there, and in, in, in a little English catch there in the、uh, episode.、Um, so they're they're sitting and talking, and then Jimbo, what happens? What happens? <laughs> What's、This、what is, happens next? This is where I, I dare him, to ask. <laughs> this is where, ain't this where he tells him he's like. You know, you you've been down on your luck or whatever, and then you know things could change. You know, like,、um, and he snaps his fingers and he gets like a brand new suit on because Beam is, is always wearing like these crazy bow ties with like these plaid jackets. You know, something like Eric wears to church on Sunday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he snaps his fingers and he's like in like this nice decked out suit、uh, tailor made. It looks like looks really nice.、Um, and he's like, "What if I told you, you know, that I I could change everything about you, basically." Um, like、uh, you know, the way you look, your job,、uh, your living situation, and all that. So,、uh, Hempstead basically tells him too, like that、um, because he was assigned to Beavis because of a long lineage of、um, people that were. You know, great figures in history like Magellan, Beavis, and he goes down this <laughs> old this whole、pictures. litany of great war heroes. Oh, that's Uncle Louie, and you、yeah. know, and now he's this guardian angel has been assigned to、uh, to Beavis because of his great heritage. Well, isn't this also where、uh, Hempstead tells Beavis that hey, I even helped Ben Hur win the chariot race, yeah. And, yeah. and and I'm like. I'm thinking to myself, okay, number one, Ben Hur is a fictional character. Okay, he's not right, real.、Right. But number、yeah. two, later on in the episode when they're outside, you see Ben Hur actually on the marquee of、yeah. the theater. So、yeah. if Ben Hur hasn't even been out, how how in the world is is Beavis? Because you know he probably doesn't go to the movies after seeing his living situation. No, how, how would he have even known who Ben Hur was? He probably didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.、Uh, and then here, like they're sitting at the table. And to sort of prove、uh, his salt as a, a guardian angel, the the、uh, chandelier starts to fall down from the ceiling, and the you know Jay Hardy Hempstead stops it and, and moves it back up. And、uh, basically, the summary of their conversation is that、uh, Jay Hardy Hempstead is going to reconstruct his life, his day, and he can go back and live his day all over again,、uh, exactly. You know the way it quote unquote should be, and、um, and not the way that it was, and that he's going to change some of the aspects of his life, and they'll have certain characteristics of his own personality will be taken out of this day as he relives it. I really like when they're leaving. He puts his arm around him, and the bartender's just looking at him because he can't see the guardian angel. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's just like, Me and my friend are leaving now. He's like, Wait, this guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the plexiglass door, like when <laughs> Jay Hardy Hempstead goes through it, and then Beavis runs into it. That's kind of horny too, but you know that kind of is par for the course. <laughs> but but, but I'm just saying, you, you see a lot of、uh, a good special effects, like the guy in the mirror,、mm-hmm. uh, the plexiglass.、Yeah. You know, I mean, I thought it, I thought it had some pretty good special yeah, yeah. effects for the time to- for this episode. Yeah, for that for that、uh, for that time and place. Yeah.、Um, So we've exited the bar, and then what happens next? We go right into the next day, don't we? Yep. And 
we see Beavis coming down the the stairs, and she he he greets her. I think her name is Michelle. He says hi, Michelle, and she just says good morning. So it's like you can already start to see changes. Like um, she doesn't know his name, and then he goes to the banister, right? And then he's about to get on it and slide down it, and Jay Hardy Hempstead pops up and says, "Ah, ah, ah like not today, like <laughs> nah, nah, nah. we don't do that anymore." <laughs> yeah. And so then he walks down the stairs, and uh, from here, do we go back to the office? No, no, no. Uh, I almost forgot. He comes down the stoop again, and he greets the landlady. What's her name again? I forget. I don't know if um, you have that. I don't think up. I don't think I have it here in the. Thing. They don't. They don't have her name. Oh, uh, it just says landlady. Her name is her real name is Dorothy, Dorothy Newman, and so he he has a conversation again with the landlady, and she's very happy and delighted because he's three months paid in advance on in advance. <laughs> yeah. So, and then he tries to jump in the football game, and the kids just play around him you know he's not a part of the game anymore so we're starting to see these um differences and then he goes up to tony the fruit stand guy and normally he gets i we neglected that in the in the first part of the episode but tony you know gives him a free piece of fruit every day and then tony tells him i can't be giving out free fruit now like you know he's totally changed now coming to this particular part his 1924 Rickenbacker, and I had to look this up, is replaced with the sports car. It's a 1958 Austin Healey. It, it was bugging me because it doesn't really tell us what it is in the mm-hmm. episode, so I had to look it up. Really cool car. And so Jay Hardy Hempstead and Beavis jump in it. And uh, But before that, uh, Jay Hardy tells him, no more zither music, no more model ships and no more christmas carolers for the kids with the kids at the office you know all of that's changed and you can start to see on beavis's face he's he's really disappointed now like he's well and i think we forgot to mention that when he was getting fired from the office he did have a a, a ship model that he was working on that he just wanted to do and give to one of the kids and that, yeah you kind of yeah, see, really see nice. his heart you know what i mean like yeah. he just wants he just wants to help everybody have a good day you know what i mean yeah yeah and so we get to the office and it's really kind of a repeat of the scene uh, earlier he you know he comes to the office doors it's about five till nine and he he walks through the office his desk is neat and tidy he gives everyone a greeting but everyone's just got their head down and, and working you know there's not that friendly exchange that they had early in the episode and he starts asking Margaret, like, where's all the stuff that was on my desk? You know, you know, my ship and all of this and that. And she's like, what are you talking about? And Mr. Peckinpah, Jimbo, he comes out and he, he tells him um, that he's getting a raise, right? He, you're getting a right. $10 raise. And um, he says, that's right, uh, Beavis. You're, you're, you know, top-notch employee. And... Uh, so, I had something regarding the ten dollar raise. So, the median ho- household income in nineteen sixty was about fifty six hundred dollars a week. So, a ten dollar per week raise would have been pretty considerable at the time. It would have been like about ten uh, percent raise, I guess, if uh, you had to calculate it. Um, but um, 
Jimbo, uh, what happens next? Um, is this where he, um, uh, no, uh, I'm trying to, uh, place, I remember the, um, let's see, is this, is, is this where he, he leaves the office, is this where he goes back to the, um, is this where he goes back to the bar? Um, actually, wait a minute, he, he has a conversation again with J. Hardy Hempstead. Yeah, I think that's where he says he's like, you know. Yeah, uh, he has the great line that uh i'm gonna probably misquote it but he says something like all of those other things speaking of his former life all the things that were important to him are worth way more than ten dollars a week and i thought that was a really really cool line that you know it didn't it wasn't about money Uh, it wasn't about all of the uh, you know the worldly things that he could attain whether it be success in his job or you know a nice car and all those things, but uh, as odd as they may be, um, you know, he wanted to go back to his old life, and then he asked uh, Jay Hardy, like, is is that going to be really difficult? And he's like, no, it's easy, like the snap of a finger, you know, you can go back um, to your old life, um, and, you know, he'll still be assigned to him as his guardian angel, um, but... You know, he, Hardy Hempstead was a little bit disappointed that he would want to go back to it, but, you know, he concedes and, you know, so he snaps his fingers and instantly um, Beavis has, you know, got his old clothes back on and then he goes out and looks out the window and down, you know, on the street is his old Rickenbacker and then it's a repeat of the scene earlier in the episode where the cars hook bumpers and... uh he, Beavis goes back and he looks at his desk and all of his knickknacks are back on his desk and, you know, we can kind of get a glimpse that things are back to normal, so to say. Um, well, I think I think he's, he's, he's at his desk, but this is where he gets called in to get fired again, right? We can talk yeah, about that conclusion, mean, right? Yeah, and this is it. This is the exact. This is an exact rerun of the first scene where he gets fired. I mean, I think they used the same footage <laughs> again, and they just cut off the Peck and Paul uh, part. But the the part where he enters the office the very the very first time, I think it's they use that exact same footage because everything. I went back and watched it again. Even the movements of all the people, they're all exactly the same. Um. So he ends up at the bar again after that. He, you know, he lost his job. He says, I got to find an apartment. I got to start finishing old iron sides for an eight-year-old kid and model shipbuilding. And that's just the way it is. And, you know, he gets up to, he, he's got a better outlook on life. And then he gets up to to leave the bar and he throws his money down. And he comes out to the outside uh, sidewalk of the bar and his Rickenbacker is parked in front of a fire hydrant, right? Well, I think and doesn't Hempstead, because he, he doesn't have his car anymore because he got hooked up, remember? And doesn't he snap his fingers well, and it... Well, yeah, he has he has the Rickenbacker here. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And then the police officer is about to write him a ticket, remember? Right, but I thought... I thought it's front of the... But I thought uh, this is where he says, hey, uh, you know, and he snaps his fingers and this car appears in front of the fire hydrant. But it was put in front of the fire hydrant as a like a... You're back to normal, but the cops right there, right in front of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he says, "You still with me, Jay Hardy?" And you yeah, know, you hear the voice. Yeah, and so 
Jay Hardy kind of hooks him up, and then so the fire hydrant goes in front of the police, <laughs> the police vehicle. Yeah. yeah. And then the guy, you know, the police officer is just kind of like, whoa, you know, yeah. stunned and taken aback. And then he jumps in the car and the big cloud of smoke. And then hey, he uh, Eric, off. is this is this police officer the famous one that we've heard about for many, uh, many uh, episodes now? What was his uh, name? I don't think so. I don't think this is the same guy. I didn't do that research, uh, so okay. You remember the one? I think he when's he come in Night of the Meek or something? Yeah, he was referenced in um, the last the tr- passage that for we trumpet. Did. Yeah, the passage for trumpet. Yeah, his name is referenced. We, we talked about that a little bit, and so just just by way of that too is like there's a lot of uh, similarities music music wise. Like there's a lot of musical themes in this episode, just like uh, Passage for Trumpet. I know you love that trumpet music. No oh, man, that was terrible <laughs> from the last episode. And that yeah. concludes this episode of uh, Mr. Beavis. Uh, yeah. So, Jimbo, did you have any? Uh, yeah, this stuff? is uh, this one kind of threw me off because when you start the episode, um, it's not the same intro. You know, what I mean, this is the one that has the eyeball. Yeah, uh, and not the spiral as the introduction, which kind of threw me for a loop because I I like the old one better, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But this 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 one's going to show up a lot more, especially in season two. Um, the policeman, uh, he he is William Schaller. He would uh, go on to later play the father in the Twilight Zone uh, movie in 1983, and Father Grant in the Twilight Zone shadow play Grace Note in 1986. And as I said earlier, this episode features four of the most prolific and notable actors in the history of TV and motion pictures. Yeah. According to IMDb, Henry Jones, William Schaller, Charles Lane, and Vito Scotti combined have a total of over 1,200 that's, acting credits. That's crazy Insane. number. Insane. Yeah. Insane. I mean, even if you divide that by four, what's that, 300 acting roles each? It's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. It's crazy. All right, Eric. Do you um, want me to do my take or your take, or do you have anything else before that? Uh, let me just check. I think I have a few things uh, under questions and observations. Um, no, actually, I think I covered all of the things that I had written down throughout the episode. So, fire away. All right. Here we go. This is my take. These... Uh, this episode is really insignificant, but you know what? It brought a smile to my face. I really enjoyed it. I laughed. Um, Eric, you've known me for a lot of years, pretty much my entire... We went to elementary school together and everything. You've known me for my life. And I see a lot of Mr. Beavis in myself. He's a carefree guy, happy-go-lucky. He's friends with everybody he comes across, always likes to have a good time, always likes to have a joke. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, you know, takes to heart things that need to be taken heart to, uh, cares for things that need to be cared about. This episode uh, is a reflection a lot like the movie It's a Wonderful Life, except in this episode, instead of just showing Mr. Beavis what his life would be without him, Mr. J. Hardy Hempstead actually changes Beavis' life in real time. Mr. Beavis soon discovers that in order to keep his new way of life, that he has to change this whole persona of his being into something that he is not. When I, what I take from this episode is, it's not the people you know, the places you go, or the things you own, but instead... It is uh, what it what it is uh, that makes up who you want to be. No amount of monetary gains or fancy stuff should make you change who you uh, who you are. But we see it every day in the real world. Someone hits the lottery, buys a car, 
and makes friends quickly when all this happens. But soon after hard time hits, the money is gone and the car is older, your friends will disappear. Mr. Beavis realizes the most important things in his life is exactly opposite of what Hempstead was offering him. Was Mr. Beavis crazy for not accepting his new way of life? I say nay, for if he had to change the way he was, his life would be totally different. Mr. Beavis, a man that faced great temptations, a man who stood for what he believed in, a man who did not fall for the traps of the Twilight Zone. Very nice, very nice. My uh, my postscript is um, a lot more uh, condensed than yours. That, that was a nice, <laughs> a really good explanation and, of the episode. Uh, and I, I went from prose and I attempted to write a poem about this. <laughs> episode <laughs> so hang on there to once your, was a man that played as hang Atari. on to your <laughs> seat yeah that's pretty much the way it's gonna go hang on to your seat i entitled this postscript bow ties and old iron sides <laughs> he drives a car that is all worn out in a crowd he surely sticks out an oddball of sorts in his manner of dress an apartment full of antiques it sure is a mess Beavis is comfortable in his own skin, an optimist in gloom he doesn't fit in. A guardian angel tries to help him along, submitting to this new way just felt wrong. The moral of this episode, as I review, to quote William Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. So there you <laughs> that go. That is outstanding, man. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. We're going to sell that thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's outstanding, but uh, yeah. I mean, I think you should have sent it to uh, Zither Music and sung it. (laughs) (laughs) Not not one of my favorites. Well done, well done. I applaud you for that. Not one of my favorites, but, you know, it does have a good moral, so that kind of saves it in the end. Well, not only that, man, um, but, but it yeah. was a it was a fun episode. How many of these are dark and dreary about murder or yeah. you know ghosts or bad things happening to people? This was just a lighthearted, fun, fun episode. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know what? This might crack my top ten. I might whoa, just whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just, slow down. Just slow down. Be- <laughs> just because it's so fun. <laughs> um, well, I think this episode's coming to a close, but uh, the next episode we do is a highly, highly favorite one of mine um, yeah. called The After Hours. It's one that has stuck out with me uh, from my childhood. Um, it's one of the first ones I can remember seeing, one of the uh, that, that, that shook me, not shook me, but uh, stuck with me. Um, I love it. It's called The After Hours. Um, we won't give too much away right now, but uh, be prepared for that one because that one is fantastic. Um, I don't know... Uh, when the next episode will be out, Eric will be going on vacation to Myrtle Beach soon. Um, so we got to play it by ear and see when it gets back. But it should be sometime in June, I would say, maybe the second week of June or something before that comes out. So, Eric, any final thoughts? Nope. Uh, I think we've uh, put this one to rest. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. But Eric, take it away. And cut! Mr. James B.W. Beavis who believes in a magic all his own. The magic of a child's smile. The magic of liking and being liked. The strange and wondrous mysticism that is a simple act of living. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, species of 20th century male, who has his own private and special Twilight Zone.